Welcome to another inspiring message from John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Joshua chapter 5, we're going to start reading in verse 1. When you get there, give me a loud, I'm there. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives... (laughs) Reading that, I'm really glad for progression, hey. I mean, you can't circumcise a child in New Zealand anymore. But back then, not only did they do it, they did it with a knife that they made. Bless God for scalpels and surgeons, my Lord. So Joshua just made a flint knife, because that's what we do. And circumcised the Israelites. And Gibeah Haraloth, if you want to know what circumcision is, ask a youth leader. All right. Suddenly all the youth leaders at the end of the service are just gone. We don't know where they went. They all got raptured and nobody knows why. I know why. If you're committed to discipleship, you would stay. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved along in the wilderness, about in the wilderness, 40 years until the men, all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Anybody awkward with the number of times we're saying circumcised? Circumcised, circumcised, circumcision, circumcision. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. Smart move. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. In this amazing passage, in verse 1, it tells us that the kings in the land of Canaan, when the the Jordan River parted and Israelites crossed from one side of the Jordan to the other and their outposts were all in the mountains looking down and watched as this river in flood suddenly The Israelites reach the edge of it. The Ark of the Covenant is on the shoulders of the priests. The priests take a step into the Jordan. The moment they step into it, suddenly the waters of a river that is in flood begin to recede and quickly dry up as the priests continue to take steps into an ever-receding river. And we could preach that. That could be our sermon tonight. That there is in front of every single one of us an ever-receding river. An obstacle that is in flood, something that looks insurmountable. But the moment a believer carrying God's presence in their lives takes a step into something that looks impossible, God will cause the waters to recede as you keep taking a step. 
And the Bible says that the hearts of the Canaanite kings melted with fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Victory in life is not primarily about resources. It is about our inner fortitude. When you know that you can do it, it's amazing how the resilience of the human spirit can overcome tremendous obstacles and adversity. But when you've lost your courage, when your strength is gone, then even the smallest of obstacles can completely defeat you. You would think at this moment in time that God's instruction to the Israelites would be, let's do it. Let's press forward. Let's conquer this thing. Let's rack up Jericho, Ai, every other city. Let's take Hebron. Let's get this thing done. But the Bible says at this time of amazing momentum, of incredible favor, that God said, rather than push forward, I want you to turn aside. And you know, there are moments in our lives where God has to do something in us so that He can then do a greater work through us. There are moments when your life looks like everything is going well, but if something on the inside of us doesn't change, doesn't get dealt with, if God isn't able to access our heart and do His work, then it really doesn't matter the favor that we experience around us. What really matters is what's going on on the inside of us. So God said to the Israelites, I want you to turn aside. I want you to go to Gilgal, where the whole nation of fighting men were circumcised and breathe a sigh of relief because we're not preaching out of those verses tonight. But then when we get to the end of our reading this evening, the very last scripture is an amazing statement that God says to Joshua, Joseph, Joshua, it's very confusing. God said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. This man walking in favor, living in momentum, witnessing the hand of God at work in his life. And God says, rather than going forward, I want you to come aside for a minute. I've got to do something in your life. And the culmination of God's work resulted in him saying to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. The reproach of Egypt. This is amazing because Joshua left Egypt 40 years, 40 years, four decades. Next Saturday, I turn 40 years old. That's old. Half of the people here agree with me, half of them don't. But anyway, when I turned 30, I was stoked to turn 30 because the rise was already gone for about four or five months. And you know, when you're 29 and you have no children and people come up to you and say, how old are you? And you say, I'm 29. You still feel like a little kid at school. And when it turned 30, some, even Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30. But now I'm turning 40. There are no pros to that. Greater wisdom, possibly, hopefully. I'm just taking it. But anyway, 40 years He's been out of Egypt. But for the last 40 years, even though Joshua has been out of Egypt, Egypt has not been out of him. And you know, there are moments in our lives where we might have been out of something for a long time. Out of that pain, out of that school, out of that difficulty, out of that challenge, out of that family home out of that abuse, out of that negativity, out of that surroundings. And even though we've been out of it for a long time, it is yet to get out of us. And so there comes a moment where God says to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. 
It's important to remember that Joshua was part of a generation who had grown up in slavery their whole lives. 400 years of Israelites had born and died in slavery. Egyptian slave masters had beat them with whips. They had produced profit, but not got to enjoy it. They had lived under the sentence of the Egyptians, a very wealthy nation. In fact, at this time, the most nation, most wealthy nation of people on earth were the Egyptians. And they looked at the Israelites with a scorn, a ridicule, a condemn, a contempt, a reproach. They looked at them and said, you are lesser than us. You are not as good as us. You were brought into this world to serve us. They, de- they derided them. They ridiculed them. They pushed them down. And friends, there are moments in our lives where something goes wrong in the way that we think. Circumstances and pressures and environments and Maybe it's the school that you went to, or maybe it's something that's going on in your family background, a setback at work, but where we begin to get something on the inside of us. Out of Egypt, the Bible says that then they spent 40 years in the wilderness and developed a very sick and dangerous thing, a wilderness mentality, where they lived hand to mouth. They survived. They got by. God was always faithful. And there are far too many believers who are simply looking for God to be faithful. I'm not bringing down God. His faithfulness is amazing. His mercies are new every morning. But He doesn't want you to need the same new mercy every morning. He'd like you to need a new mercy. Like for a different challenge, a different situation. He'd like us to grow, to move on. And so it is that something happened in their lives. 400 years of slavery, 40 years in the wilderness. And it got to a point where the environment that Joshua has been living in began to define the person that he was rather than God defining who he was. It's amazing to note that when the pain of your past is in your present, its pull will always be to conform your future to your past. There come moments in people's lives where they stand in the middle. They stand in the middle between the pain of their yesterday and the promise of their tomorrow. And in that moment, the challenge is how real is the pain of the past? How how deeply, how real, how, how purely has the pain of the past been removed from our lives? Because if it is not removed from our lives, its pull will always be to make us look at what we're going to go into and then hang on a minute, but we've been through that and it will conform the future to the past. Oh, we see it. We see it in relationships. The woman who's been abused by a man for too long, if we're not careful, if we don't see healing come to her life, the next relationship comes along. And it's kind of like we expect, we expect, she expects that this is going to be the way that she gets, even though her heart believes for something different, we see it in life so often. So the God of the universe won't leave us as we are. He doesn't want anybody to have a tomorrow that looks like yesterday. I'm grateful for a Jesus who didn't go to the cross so that people would always rip me off, so that life would always do me wrong. Come on, somebody give God some praise. Jesus came to set us free. He said you'd have life and life to all its fullness. He came to break the chains off our lives. And so it is that God comes to Joshua and he says, today, Joshua, it's your moment. It's your hour. It's incredible to note that with Moses... God called Moses to grow up, even though he was an Israelite, born into slavery, yet he grew up in the courts of Pharaoh. 
And what God did for a nation of Israelites was he chose a man. And his name was Moses. And God delivered Moses out of slavery to deliver slavery out of him. He caused him to grow up even though he was an Israelite. Even though he was an Israelite, he grew up in the courts of the king. And my friends, you've got to know that there are uh, dual realities happening in every believer's life in this room today. Because you're born into slavery to sin, yet you live in the courts of the king. My, the Paul said, my body is a slave to sin, yet my spirit is alive in Christ. First Peter says that we are a nation of kings and priests. And even though in the natural there are some circumstances that come our way and make us think we are weak, inferior, that we're failures, that we're not deserving of. There is a spirit calling happening on the inside of every believer's life in this room that says, I am a king. I am chosen. I am favored. The Lord is with me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Come on, give the Lord some praise in his house tonight. And we live with the, with the tension between the, the slavery of our natural and the kingship of the supernatural presence of God. So it was that Moses was delivered out of slavery to deliver slavery out of him. And it was Moses who proclaimed to Pharaoh, let my people go, because he had a different set of expectations in his life. Yet Joshua was the kid who grew up in slavery. Moses is already dead and he is now the leader of his nation. Listen, guys, wait up. Pause, check, have a little mental assessment. Your, your future is dependent on you. It's not shaped by your parents. It's not shaped by the family you came from. Our nation is ours. It's yours. It's mine. We can do something great for God. We get to write the next chapter of New Zealand's history. Oh man, in this room, we can do something amazing for Jesus. But at the end of the day, it really comes back to what we believe about us. See, here we have Joshua, this kid who has grown up in slavery, but yet to have slavery delivered out of him. God is calling him to go into the land of Canaan and become the possessor of the land of Canaan, the most choice piece of real estate in the then known world. This land that flows with milk and honey, this land of abundance. But guys, it doesn't matter. Many people buy lotto tickets. I refuse. I don't think Lotto's going to help me one bit. I'm not looking for somebody to give me a handout. I'm not looking for somebody to, to, you know, do something for me. I don't believe in luck. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the favor of God. But this is what I do know. You could win Lotto. You could experience some kind of great windfall in your life. You can call it chance, call it luck. But at the end of the day, what's going on in you will determine how long that blessing is going to hang around. If we don't deal with the reproach of Egypt that is in our lives, blessing will come to you and it will roll off you. And so God's saying to Joshua, if you're going to do what I really want you to do, then I've got to work in you first. Today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Now note, church, that the God who's saying this is the same God who said, let there be light. In other words, when God speaks, He creates. He shapes and he defines. And when God said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, he wasn't making social commentary. He was declaring spiritual reality. 
He's saying, if I said it, it's done. Deal, sealed, forever. I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Now, if you were to grab your dictionary and to search this word reproach, you would get the definition in the Oxford Dictionary. Disgrace or shame. Disgrace or shame. To live with reproach is to live with a feeling that somehow there is disgrace in your life or shame in your life. But in the Hebrew, which is what this original text was written in, it's a little bit more poignant. The word reproach is more accurately translated, the condition of disgrace or shame. In other words, it's not just about an adjective. It's about a living reality on the inside of a person. He says to Joshua, today I have rolled away the condition of disgrace or shame that is living, Joshua, on the inside of you. And guys, around this room, I would hazard a guess that the vast majority of us seated in this room have gone through a lot of rubbish in our lives. There are people who come from great families. There are people here who come from terrible families. People who have come from you know, wealth. People who have come from poverty. But along the way, there is a lot of experiences that come your way in life. Man, you don't have to live long. You know, the saying goes, sticks and stones might break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Exactly the opposite. I've broken a bunch of bones in my life. And within six to eight weeks, I've been over every single one of them. But there are things people have said, experiences that you have, moments that come your way in life. That will take you years, if not a lifetime, to purge that out of your life again. So God comes to Joshua, and He's coming to you and me today. And He says, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the thing about reproach in Joshua's life, in your life, in my life, is that reproach lives in us unwarranted. If Jesus is in us, there is no reason... For approach to ever find its way into our hearts. But it's been my experience that for most people, if not all people, reproach does find its way there. And there are two reasons that I think reproach comes the way of a believer. Number one, I think the first reason why approach comes to us is because of the plans and the pathways of God. I'm not saying God brings reproach into your life. But what I am saying is that God cares more about your destination than He does about your comfort. And the only way for Israel to get to Canaan was to go through Egypt. A family tribe of 120 people needed to get to a point where it was a nation of 3 million people able to displace the nations that were currently living in the land of Canaan. So God used Egypt to take a family tribe and make them a nation of people. And God will take you through things that present the opportunity for approach to come your way. We think, man, why were they enslaved? Why were they exploited? Not knowing that their exploitation, their, their suffering became their distinction. God said, I don't want you intermarrying with the Israelites. So if they think you're the best thing since sliced bread, they're going to try and get your, their daughters to marry your sons. And suddenly there will be no more Israelite race. And so God said, we're going to cause slave drivers and they will oppress you, but your oppression will be your definition. 
Somebody in this room has gone through hell and high water, but I want you to know that God never meant you harm. God never set you up to be less than, more than, beaten down, oppressed, a failure. God loves you every day of your life. He's with you in every storm and port and trial. Cares about you so much, He sent a son to die on a cross. Somebody give that God praise tonight. But there are sometimes things we've got to go through. Joseph, Joseph, when God said to him, man, you're going to be like the, the guy that all your brothers bowed down to. God wasn't messing with him. Yet he had to go through the pit and the prison to get to the palace. Jesus had to come through an engaged girl to get to this world. That brought reproach his way. He had to go through the cross to get victory over sin and death. And they mocked him and ridiculed him while he hung upon the cross. I'm not saying reproach ever found its way into Jesus' life. But what I am saying is it was all around Jesus' life. And in our lives, the plans and the pathways of God will present the opportunity for reproach to find its way to us. But the second thing is not just the plans and the pathways of God. It's the attacks of the devil. See, what the devil does is he exploits every opportunity he gets. He exploits every single opportunity he gets. In fact, Romans chapter 4 says that sin seizes opportunities. It's looking for any moment that it can get. The devil is looking for any gateway, any doorway, any opportunity for, for, to, to mess you up, to do something bad in your life. Let's stop making it like the devil is somehow this kind of benevolent little angel, you know, like a darkened cherub with naughty thoughts, wanting you to, you know, have a little bit too much fun at a party. That's not the devil. The devil hates people. He hates people. He's saying, man, sleep with lots of people, take lots of drugs, mess your life up. How stupid are people saying we should legalize cannabis in this country? It destroys brain cells. It's not okay to destroy brain cells. I mean, I'm against alcohol, getting drunk on alcohol as well, but at least you're not going to destroy someone's mind. I mean, I've got friends who just smoke cannabis And then they can't even remember what they did yesterday just because they had too much of it. Now, listen, it's not good. Anyway, I just thought I'd get off there on a little hobby horse for a second. Where was I? The attacks of the enemy. The attacks of the enemy will bring reproach into a believer's life. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3. This is going to encourage you tonight. Luke chapter 3. Enjoying this this evening? Verse 23. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, comma, so it was thought, comma, of Joseph. See, guys, you've got to understand that the devil is always going to try to exploit the plans and the pathways of God to bring reproach into a believer's life. So Jesus came to this planet and was conceived Before Joseph and Mary got married. And all around Jesus was the ridicules of people who said he was the son, comma, so it was thought, comma, of Joseph. In Luke chapter 4, the very next chapter, in his own hometown, he stands up to preach his first sermon. And everybody says, hang on a minute. Isn't this Joseph and Mary's son? Aren't his brothers and sisters here with us? In other words, This guy, he sounds great, but he will never be great 
because he's the kid they conceived before they got married. The illegitimate child, the love child. I mean, today, a lot of kids get conceived before wedlock. But back then in Jewish culture, it was so heavily frowned upon that it completely marginalized a person in life. And they said, that's Jesus. We got him in a box. Reproach. In John chapter 8. Verse 41, he gets up to preach. Uh, sorry, he's talking with the Pharisees about whether they are Abraham's children or not. And the Pharisees look at Jesus and they say to him, we were not conceived in fornication. What they mean is like you were, Jesus. You were conceived in fornication. Your mom and dad got a little bit randy before they got married. And they're literally bringing reproach Jesus's way. And a lot of people in this room have got something Failure, setback, divorced parents, stuff you've done wrong, a bad year at high school, a a moment at a party, a broken relationship for those who are older, a marriage that has ended, some kind of setback, some kind of crazy parent you don't want anybody to ever meet. Whatever is going on in your life, there are a lot of people with a lot of things that the devil is trying to use to bring reproach into your life. But look at what Jesus, what God the Father said to Jesus in the two verses before the ones I read out. Luke chapter 3 verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. This is my son. Whom I love. And with you, Jesus, I am well pleased. And friends, I want you to know that there is always going to be a devil putting words in your mouth. The son of Joseph, the loser, the love child, the failure, the kid with no no potential, setbacks, adversaries. But there is also a voice that is not the voice of man or the voice of the accuser, but the voice of the Most High God. Saying, I made you, I formed you, I destined you, I put you together in your mother's womb. Before you were born, every day of your life was already planned out. You are special, brilliant, highly favored. The Lord is with you. You're more than a conqueror. You're a holy people, a royal priesthood, a nation unto God. You got the destiny of Jesus in your life. Man, I'm excited. Give Him praise. In every believer's life, there is a voice from heaven saying, don't agree with the reproach that comes your way. And my friends, for every single one of us, there are going to be moments where this reproach is going to come our way. And the thing to note is that for Jesus, the difference was that reproach was all around him, yet reproach never got in him. The condition, the condition, like Asthma, a condition, I'm not sure medically that's correct, but you understand what I'm saying. A condition lives in me. It's a sickness that I carry. But reproach was all around Jesus. But we know that Jesus, even though he was tempted, he never gave in. So even though it was always around him, it never entered him. And here's the thought, guys, and this is so important for tonight's message. Reproach exists in every believer's life unwarranted. But the way it gets from around us to in us is when we agree with it. It's when the lie is said so many times that you begin to believe it. It's when you feel their stares 
for so long that you take on board something that was in their stairs. It's when, it's when the thought exists for so long that now it leaves from just being around me and it finds a place inside of me. And so for those people, God comes to us all, myself included, and He sets us up with moments and encounters and times in His presence. Like at the end of this message where we open up this altar and we're going to minister to people tonight and I truly believe that God can bring you to Gilgal tonight. That He can roll away the reproach of Egypt from a person's life. That there can come a moment where the chains are broken and your destiny is restored and your dignity comes back and you believe in Jesus and in His call upon your life again. Again. <laughs> reproach will stop us from living lives as we were designed to live. It will prevent us from displaying the brilliance God has placed on the inside of us. At a nutshell, reproach will stop you from being you when it's in you. You got it, but it's not coming out. So the first thing that reproach will cause someone to do is to lower the level of their expectations. When reproach is in you, you just lower the level of your expectations. Couldn't do that unworthy of that, somehow just kind of bring it all just down to a lower, lower level. Reproach will impact the way you walk into a room, the way you feel about yourself, what you let people do to you, the way you feel about everything, what you feel comfortable around. You just lower the level of your expectations. Never forget it when my daughter snuck into children's church when Ben and Anna Carroll were still the children's pastors here. At Arise Church, heard, them, heard Ben preach on temptation. That night we had 30 people around at our house for a supper and I was preaching to them all about the next phase of where our church was going. My little three and a half year old daughter at the time, just turning nine at the moment, but she came downstairs in her pajamas, walked straight up to me in the lounge room and said, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I said, what is it? She said, it's my turn to speak. I said, all right. She turned around and to 30 people, she preached her first sermon, which she ripped off from Ben. She's probably still ripping them off from Ben, but she turned around and said, you've got to run from temptation because it's coming and it's going to get you and you have to run from temptation. <laughs> then just kind of stood there and went, <laughs> like, I'm so cool. You know what? If God's put something in you, it shouldn't be embarrassing that he's put it there. But when reproach is there, It'll cause you to lower the level of your expectation. The second thing it'll do is cause you to repel blessing through feelings of unworthiness. Blessing could come your way, but you're like, I don't deserve that. I'm unworthy of that. You know, when God turned up in Moses' life and said to Moses, I am calling you, go to Pharaoh, tell him, let my people go. Moses was so reluctant to do it that God got mad. And I reckon God's mad at us sometimes. He's like, I'll flip and do it, would you? Just just do it. But somehow reproach gets in here. And then man, he would have you do something great. But we don't believe that we can do something great because reproach has found its way into our lives. When I finished 10 years of full-time Christian service, and I've just finished 20 now, which is pretty awesome. But when I'd finished 10, I'd done five of those 10 years completely unpaid. The first four years of, our, of my ministry life, a, a volunteer, the first year of Arise volunteer, and in between that, uh, five years or so, on staff as a youth pastor in a church, which is, you know, 
kind of like code for almost unpaid. So, so you know, we learned to live on the smell of an oily rag really, really well. And I, you know, then when I started to earn money, you know, I'd go out and buy a new shirt and people would be like, oh, that's a nice shirt. And I'd always be like, yeah, I got it on a sale. Because I was used to living with nothing. I'd buy a pair of shoes and people were like, oh, nice shoes. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I picked them up at a, you know, a 90% off sale or something. You know, I, 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 it was uncomfortable. Then I began to run youth rallies and they got to a size of about 1,500 people, which back then was enormous. Now it's just a Sunday service. But back then it was a big deal. And, you know, we'd run in this youth rally, 1,500 people, and all the people were ringing you up and saying, wow, amazing rally. And then I ran one with 1,500 and another guy ran one at the same week in another city in the country, and he had 5,000. Three weeks later, we're walking down the street together. I pointed to his shoes. I said, mate, those are some nice shoes. He says to me, yeah, they're $450 shoes. This is in 1990. $450 shoes. I said to him, wow. In my life, I don't think I've ever worn a pair of shoes that cost $450. He looked at me, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, that's why my rally had 5,000, and yours only had 1,500. Now listen, this guy's not materialistic. He wasn't speaking about the goods. And somebody out there with a poverty mindset just heard that wrong. He wasn't speaking about that. He's saying, you don't feel worthy of a $450 pair of shoes. And you'll never step into what God's got for you. It's not about the shoes. It's about the fact that if God gave you some, it doesn't make you a selfish idiot. It makes you somebody blessed of the Lord. He can feed the cattle of a thousand hills. He's got a lot of resources out, God. But when you've got reproach, you will repel it through feelings of unworthiness. And number three, and I'm going to wind up in a second. The band can come up and join me on stage is you will decline decline influence through inferiority. When reproach is in your life, you will decline influence through inferiority. Saul is anointed king over the nation of Israel, and on the day of his coronation, the great moment when he is to be crowned king, the Bible says that this man already knowing that he's got the role, rather than standing there beside the prophets at the prophet's side, waiting for the moment when the crown comes on his head. The Bible tells us that Saul was hiding amongst the baggage. Listen, what you hang around says a lot about you. There are some people in this room that if this message touches your life, you're going to leave this auditorium and get some better friends. I'm not talking about the people you outreach to. I'm talking about the people you feel comfortable around. And when you're hanging around the baggage, it says something about what you feel comfortable being next to. And so it was that God came to, that God came to him and said, you're going to be king. Yet rather than stepping into it, he said, man, I can't have that kind of influence. And the reason why was because reproach was in his heart and he struggled with his feelings of inferiority. It's not humility. It's reproach. It's a God saying, man, we've got to deal with this thing. Or a lot of believers are going to be walking forward into their promised land. But if God doesn't do something in you, He can't do the work He wants to do through you. He wants you to have influence. He wants you to walk in favor. He wants you to do something amazing for God with your life. 
And so he comes to us and he says, man, I've got to roll away the reproach of Egypt from you so that I can do the work through you that I want to do. I was standing in worship tonight. We're singing Love So Deep. Is washing over me, Natalie, just nailing it. 10 out of 10, the band with her, the presence of God. I turn around, I'm looking, and I know the stories of hundreds and hundreds of people in this room tonight. What they've been through, how far God has taken them, the miracle of what Jesus has done in their lives. And I'm watching them with hands lifted up, and I'm like, God, I can't believe that you've done this through this church. And then I remember that it started with just seven people, a little drama hall 10 years ago. And the reality is that God's got greater things that he's, that's, that's just what he's doing in one person's life. But there are hundreds, thousands of people in this room tonight. And every single one of you have been earmarked by God to do something great. There's destiny in every life, favor upon every single one of us. Nobody's lesser than, more undeserving of. Nobody's an extra. Nobody's an add-on. There are no rejects, no faults, no failures. Just people called and favored by God. Come on all over this room. If you believe Jesus wants to use you, then give Him some praise tonight. Hallelujah. You can stay standing. So God said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. He said to Jesus, this is my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. He said to Isaiah, who didn't think he could be a prophet, your guilt is atoned for and your sin is taken away. Your lips are cleansed. It's time to do it. He spoke to Peter when he denied Jesus three times. Do you love me, Peter? Then feed my sheep. Don't let the devil's voice stay in your mind a little bit longer. Just because you failed yesterday, it doesn't make you a failure today. It's time to let it go and move on. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Allen Cameron and at Arise Church.